Christmas. Merry Christmas. Sorry that I'm a little bit late. Sometimes life throws plans at you that you don't anticipate. Uh, we have a great morning celebrating and worshiping, and I'm glad that you're a part of it. Thanks, team, for leading us already in a little bit of a, a prelude, a musical warm-up. Uh, everybody get their programs on the way in. The reason we have these is because it's such a different service than how we normally run it, so we want you to be uh, aware of what's happening and when it's happening, and so you'll be able to follow along, and Annie and myself will kind of lead you through what's happening at different moments. But before we get into our time and uh, our worship together, um, one of the, the things that I have been thinking about on our way into this time is that in Psalm 34, 8, uh, it declares, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think that sometimes... Uh, as we go through life, as we seek the Lord, we know that the Lord is spirit. We don't see him, right? We don't experience him physically, and yet there's this reality that God designed us to know goodness and life in the world, and that he wants us to take all of that goodness that we experience, all of this sense of pleasure that he uh, pours out on us, and uh, see that that's a part of his blessing towards us. So I'm praying that today and in this holiday season that you taste and see the goodness of the Lord as you experience uh, the goodness of the holiday season around you. So let's, uh, why don't we stand and then uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of life through Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to see and know that you are good, that as we uh, experience today's worship, today's celebration, that it would be a foretaste of the goodness that we know is coming. Father, we pray that in our midst that you would be glorified, that we would experience and know you in new ways. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us and that you are moving amongst us. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. We pray that you would receive our praise today for you alone are worthy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Oh, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Shut 
appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Messiah, and 
I'd like to say that, uh, introduce that we're going to do a Christmas story medley and we will have the children involved in that. So as we're doing the music, the words will be up here if you would like to follow along. And also there will be um, uh, characters in the med Christmas story coming up and that's so you'll be wanting to watch for that too so you can see what's going on.
Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Gloria in excelsis Deo, We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Oh, star of wonder, star. invite you all to stand as we sing this last song in our medley.
today if you've got your Bible with you physically or digitally. Otherwise, you can just uh, hear or listen along with us as we, uh, as we move into the, the Christmas story today. Um, really quickly, on our way in, one of the things that we do here is this, on our way into the message, we talk with God. As a, a friend uh, shared with me a long time ago, it's important to remember that we want to talk with God before we talk about God. So let's ask God to bless our time of learning. Uh, Father, thank you for each of these people here today. Lord, you are calling them to know you. You know their hearts. You know their lives, Father. And you know where they are in relationship with you. Lord, we ask that as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. We thank you, God, for kind of peeling back the veil of time and, and putting your son into our world and our lives. We ask, Lord, that in the next 20 minutes or so that you would be teaching us and guiding us. We pray, Father, that you'd be convicting us and calling us we ask, Father, that we would know the significance of Jesus' birth for us more at the end of this day than we did at the beginning. And we pray, God, that you would be glorified in our midst and in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many names do you have? Now, you don't have to answer, right? But, you know, some of us, we've got like the, the full name. Like when I was a little kid, if I heard Christopher Noel Garrison, 
I knew that I needed to run, and in my heart I had to decide if I was running towards or running away, and the right choice was always towards, right? But there was a moment inside where you thought, maybe I'm faster than mom, you know, forever. I'll never get caught. It doesn't never work that way. Uh, then there are other times, right? Like, like when my wife says Christopher, uh, that, there's a huge amount of love in that. But then when other people call me Christopher, like on the phone, the telemarketers, there's no love. They don't even know what to call me. They don't know that I'm just Chris most of the time and that very few people call me Christopher, right? But then there are other names that are significant, like I'm son to a mom and a dad, and I'm brother to two men who I love dearly, and I'm dad to two other much younger men that I love dearly, and I'm husband. But then there's other nicknames and pet names that I picked up along the way. So I think I probably got like, you know, maybe 10 or 12 things that people call me, and each of those have a huge amount of significance, and those names matter. Did you know that when someone says your name, your brain lights up with pleasure? That it feels good to you? God designed it so that when you hear your name, you know love and that you feel love. That's biologically the norm for all of us. Did you know that Jesus has over 300 names recorded in God's word? Isn't that really wild? And that each of these names has a, a massive significance in who Jesus is and who Jesus is willing to be for you in your life. As we went through the Christmas uh, medley here, you might have noticed that the characters who were coming up were dropping some things off at this table here, right? Most significantly, and we'll just say maybe practically creepy, uh, is the doll, right? <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. In our culture, that's a little weird. Uh, but there's this baby Jesus, right? So he's baby Jesus today, right? And that, and that matters, but he's so much more than a baby. And then there's this lantern here, which reminds us that, that Jesus is the light of the world and the bright and morning star, and that if you'll let him, he'll be a, a guide in your life, and he will be a light unto your path and a, a lamp unto your feet. And then the, the angel brought this fantastic dollar sword uh, from the Dollar Tree. We've got to uncollapse it, right? And that reminds us that, that Jesus is the Lord of hosts, but that he's also a warrior, right? And that he's willing to fight with you in your battles and greet you on the way into the significant dangers that you face in life. And the, the shepherds brought this shepherd's crook to remind us that Jesus is the good shepherd and that he called the shepherds to know him and he knew the shepherds because he had been shepherding people for thousands and thousands of years and continues to do so today and he'll care for you like you are one of his sheep if you'll let him and and then the wise men they they brought these gifts but they also brought this crown because Jesus is ultimately the the king of the world and the the king of all that is created right and so we saying that he will reign forever and ever and we could go on and on and on in fact we could spend the whole year unpacking each of these names of Jesus in fact we could spend the next six years unpacking them if we were to do one every Sunday because Jesus is known in so many ways he's the lamb of God and he's the man of sorrows and he's the prince of peace and and he's the mighty God and he is the breath of life and he is the teacher and he is a servant and he is the hope of nations and he's the only way to heaven. But today I want to talk to you about this massively, massively important name. And that is Savior. 
You see, when we call Jesus Savior, it makes all of these things real and incredibly possible. And there's one thing that those kids weren't able to carry up that demonstrates who Jesus is maybe more than any other thing. And that is this object right here. See, Jesus was always all of these things, with the, maybe the exception of the baby. He was always the King of Kings. He was always the light. He was always the day spring. He was always the shepherd. But when he came to earth this, at this time, he came to be Savior. I'm going to have to keep a hand on that and lay it down because it will go thud and then half of you will die and then the other half of us will be sad. So we don't want that to happen. So Jesus came and he specifically came for this purpose. He came for the purpose of being called the Savior. And we know that because of the Christmas story. And so I'd like to read that to you now. And then I'd like to talk to you about it, what it means that Jesus can be, or maybe is, your Savior. So we'll just put this down here for safer keeping. It's going to go thud anyways, I know it. So in Luke 2, 1 and following, it says this. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that the whole world, the whole empire, should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Now, if you're not familiar with the biblical text, one of the reasons this is in here is because God wants you to know that this is not just a story, that this is actual history, that this documentation is real. Each of you has a birth certificate, right? And it says that you were born at a specific place at a specific time to specific people. And hundreds of years from now, people will know that you actually existed, right? Because there's a documentation, a record of your birth. They know that it happened. But you know that there's hundreds and thousands of people across all of history that no one knows existed? I mean, everyone knew then who was around them, but after they're gone, there's no record of them. They're just dust. They're just breath. There for a moment and gone right after that. But Jesus was born at a time where there were no birth certificates, where most people didn't matter at all in the course of history. If you think back 2,000 years ago, you might know one or two names within several centuries of people that actually existed. And God wanted to make sure that you could know that Jesus existed. And so as he wrote the story of Jesus in his word, he put factual details like this, like it was the time that Quirinius was the governor. See, Quirinius is a, a name that people would have known and remembered, and now, now we remember him, but Jesus was born. He's a real person. He came into a real world. He's not just a myth or some story that somebody came up with. God sent his son into the world in that time. It says in, in verse 3, So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to, the, to her firstborn son and wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In that same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. 
Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I like the King James Version. They were sore afraid. Have you ever been so afraid that it hurts? Man, that was a rough night for them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look or behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, who was treasuring all these things in her heart, uh, kept, pardon me, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Man, isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild to think about? Have you ever had one of those days where you get home and you just have this story and you say to the persons you live with, you would not believe what just happened to me, right? And you're just like, this it seems like a weird course of events that got you through that day. Sometimes those are horrific days and sometimes they are amazing days. This was a day to remember for those shepherds. I want to look way back in the middle of this story, starting in verse 10. There's an angel that appears to some shepherds by night. Now, angel means messenger, and it's God's spiritual messenger to these people. The angel Gabriel shows up, and, and as is common with angel appearances, these shepherds find themselves afraid. This is a huge thing that the eternal separation between what we see and what is real spiritually gets opened up, and it is amazing, and it is wild, and it is apparently terrifying when this happens, because you're seeing the presence of God as these angels step into our time and our space. And so the angel says, don't be afraid. Behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. The angel is sharing the gospel. If you've heard the term gospel before, then gospel means good news. It's a pronouncement of good news. And it's actually the announcement of the birth of a new king who will reign now, with all political kings, it always comes with promises, and are political leaders really good at keeping their promises? The things that they proclaim and the good news that they claim to bring, how sure are you that that might happen? Very unsure, right? Like, they have no control over the future. But when the king of kings is born, and his messenger goes ahead of him and says, there's good news of great joy, is this good news that you can actually trust? I think so. I think so. I've experienced personally that it's good news that you can actually trust. And what's wild is it's good news of great joy, and it's expansively available. It's massively inclusive. The angel says that this is good news of great joy for all people. Isn't that awesome? That the good news of God is for everyone. That everyone that you and I encounter are people that the good news of God is for. 
But it also matters because there's one person that you encounter most regularly. You wake up with them every day. You get in the shower with them. When you look in the mirror, there they are staring right back at you. Because the good news of great joy that is for all people is being announced to you this day. If you can imagine it, God is looking through eternity right now and he sees you sitting here and he's rejoicing that you're hearing good news of great joy being proclaimed for you and to you. For for you, a savior was born in Bethlehem that very day. That's a really wild and audacious claim that over 2,000, well, about 2,000 years ago, a little more than 2,000 years ago, God was born out of eternity into our time and space for you specifically to fill the role of being the Savior. That in the city of David, this Savior was born. I want to take a moment and just talk to you about why it's important that this idea that he was born in the city of David is presented. Now to us, Bethlehem is nothing more than the place of Jesus' birth. But to these Jewish shepherds, this angel would have been saying, here is a billboard reminding you that this was coming. Have you ever been on a really long road trip before? Any road trippers out there? My family, we love road trips. Uh, A couple years ago, we drove from here, and we kind of zigzagged across the U.S., and we ended up in Kentucky, and then we took the northern route home through South Dakota. Not the most route... The highest route, the most northern route, we weren't in Canada South in North Dakota, we were still in America, and so we were driving across South Dakota, and there is this billboard that we saw over and over again to a place that maybe you've been before. Have you been to this place? Wall Drug, right? And so you're seeing these billboards for hundreds and hundreds of miles. You know that Wall Drug is coming. Well, when this angel says, in the city of David, a Savior is born, this is like historically for hundreds and hundreds of years, there's been these prophecies, these promises from God that say that there's going to be a king who comes in the line of David, and this king will sit on God's throne forever, and he will reign, right? So there's this new king that is coming. And so this announcement from the angel, the angel is saying, hey, this isn't out of the blue. I'm not making something up. I really am an angel from God and I'm trustworthy because this is happening according to God's promises, according to God's intention. The thing that God set out from the beginning, he's accomplishing right now. In Ephesians 1, it says, before the foundation of the world, God chose us to be in Christ. That means that before God said, let there be light, In the mind of God, in the heart of God, there was this idea that Jesus would be born, that he would be the savior of all who believe in him, that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, that they would receive the right to be called a child of God, that those who put their faith in Jesus, that they would receive everlasting life. Isn't that wild? That God plans so far in advance for you personally, for provision to be made for you so that you could know God, that you could have everlasting life with him. That is incredibly awesome. Remember when I was in college, on December 23rd, my dad asked me if I'd purchased any Christmas presents yet. And I said, no, dad, I haven't. And he said, well, why not? Well, I don't have any money, dad. And so then he handed me $200. 
And he said, the mall's open late tomorrow. Make sure you get there. Were those very good gifts that year, do you think? No. There was no forethought. I went to the mall and I found that the shelves were practically bare. I couldn't believe it. I thought, here in America, we don't have backup goods for procrastinators like myself? But we didn't. The gifts that I gave that year were both overpriced and pitiful because those things that are left on the shelf are never a very good deal. You're stuck. You're out of time. All the sales happened beforehand. God's gift to you isn't something that he procrastinated on. It isn't something where he said, oh, I, I forgot. There's going to be these people. They're going to go through this terrible virus called COVID. They're going to have really rough years. The world's going to be in political turmoil. We better just toss them a bone. Life is really rough right now. Maybe, maybe we should do something nice. We'll call it Christmas. Yeah. No, God planned on this gift for you. He chose to give Jesus for you and to you. And so there's this pronouncement. For you, a Savior has been born. For you, a Savior has been born. I want to talk to you about the nature of a Savior. It's very significant that God chose for Jesus to be born in this way. One of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. I remember hearing this on the radio as a kid. It was in the 80s, and Michael W. Smith was kind of a big deal then, and so there was like this synthesizer music that would come on and like some kind of funky bass going on in the background, and then you'd hear Michael W. Smith, Emmanuel, and he had that like breathy voice, right? And then it would be like repeat, Emmanuel, and then it would like explode into like wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting God, Emmanuel, right? And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, this like funky song, Emmanuel, but I really didn't get the significance of that for a long time. I mean, yes, this idea of God with us, and what I thought is that when this little baby was born, that meant that God was with us then when the baby was born, that there was this symbol that like, I'm with you, man. You ever had a friend say that before? Man, I am with you, man. You know what that really means? I'm not with you, but I want you to know that I love you. Isn't that usually what we mean when we tell someone that, like, I'm with you? Because if they were with you, they wouldn't have to tell you. You would know because they would be with you, right there. And so we say things like, I'm with you, because what we mean is, like, my heart goes out to you. I shed a tear for you. I'm pouring one out for my homie, right? Like, I'm remembering you in this moment. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I'm actually with you. But God, when he says, I am with you, when he says, I am Emmanuel, he literally means, I'm really with you. He means that I'm coming through time to come and be with you in this moment. And we know that because of how Jesus was born. We talked about who Jesus was before he was born. He was God in heaven. The Bible says that he's surrounded by angels that do nothing but sing his praise. His glory is unveiled. He can actually be himself. He doesn't have to restrain himself. He does whatever he wants, and every moment of his life is perfect and good. And he left that place of perfection to enter our world, and he didn't do it as a king. He didn't go to a comfortable or powerful place. He didn't sequester himself or separate himself from the people. Instead, he came and he was born in their midst. He was impacted by taxes before he was even born, right? I've heard some people say like, 
I've been in church before I was born. Jesus could say, I've been paying taxes since before I was born, right? Like, he lived in our reality, and he experienced what we experienced. And the people who showed up to celebrate his birth, they were not friends and family. They were not the townspeople of Bethlehem. They were blue-collar workers, shepherds who were out working the graveyard shift, right? Now, do you think you were the star shepherd if you drew the night shift? I don't know about that, man. I think these were like new hires, right? The guys who got seven write-ups last month, but you know, like they're the boss's cousins, so you can't fire him. Like these are the guys who the angels showed up to. These are just ordinary people. In fact, they're the type of ordinary people that a lot of people would say are just worthless or they don't really matter. These are the people that the angel showed up to. And yes, he was born to people who used to be someone way back in their ancestry, but now Joseph is a carpenter or maybe a stonemason. He's just your average guy, your everyday Joe, literally, just like you and just like me. Jesus was born to ordinary people for all people. And then what's wild is as Jesus grows, as Jesus becomes the man that he was meant to be, as he walks around on earth as Messiah, he is incredibly available. There's this huge contrast in the Gospels between the religious leaders of the day who remain separate from the people so that they are shown as more righteous and better than those people, and then there's Jesus who walks with the people, who calls ordinary people to be his disciples, who's not afraid to embrace the sick, who's not afraid to take the the face of a blind person and get close to them so that they can hear him and feel his breath and know his touch and say, I am willing, be healed. Jesus demonstrates through his life that he is God with us. He doesn't just step out of heaven and say, here I am. He's willing to step into your life and say, I am with you. The nature of Jesus as being the Savior is not some far-off, distant religious figure who's unknowable. Instead, he's this close Savior who requires that you put your personal faith in him for everlasting life. Maybe you're like me and you grew up religious. Could you raise your, you don't have to, but could you raise your hand on that one in your heart if that was you? I remember going to church and thinking that this good thing that I was doing was saving me because I was paying homage to this distant religious God. And that if I did the right things, this distant religious God would be okay with me. And then in my early 20s, I realized that it wasn't that that God was looking for. Instead, he was looking for me to take his offer personally, to accept it for real. Because it's not just an offer that says, if you check the right boxes, I'll check you into the best hotel you've ever been to for eternity. It says that if you put your faith in me, then you will have everlasting life. Jesus says that anyone who believes in me will have, ever actually not will have, has everlasting life. I want to say that again. Jesus says, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. It's a gift that he gives to you in that moment. So the nature of the Savior is that he is here. He is with you in your life. He sees you and knows you. He's willing to walk with you. He's willing for you to be able to call him by name and ask him to be in your life. But he's also personal. You need to know him personally. It's not religion that saves you. 
It's a relationship that saves you. It's a relationship with Jesus that saves you, not just being religious. If you look in John chapter 1, uh, which I have so conveniently put a, uh, posted in my Bible to find it, but I couldn't do that in yours because it would have been creepier than baby Jesus, right? If you found, I marked this for you, Chris. Was he in my house? In John 1.13, it says this, or 1.12, it says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be called children of God, to those who believe in his, in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Isn't that amazing? That there's this personal connection and that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're personally called a child of God. You're adopted into Jesus' family. It says that you become like his brother, like he's your big brother leading the way for you and looking out for you. And you have a new heavenly father and you have an eternal name and an eternal home. And you have this benefit of being in God's house, of being in Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus. I want to go back to the names piece for just a minute. You know, there are a lot of names that make my heart light up. There are a lot of memories, moments where I remember people who loved me saying my name either tenderly or with respect or an invitation, and they stand out of these bright, shining spots of love. But honestly, there's these moments in my life where maybe they weren't a name that is only given to me, but it was a bad name given to me. You idiot. What are you, a slob? You're born in a barn, close the door. These names that are actually not a blessing, but a curse that are spoken over us. Names that don't heal, but instead hurt and harm. Names that don't speak well of our identity, but instead that speak of our shortcomings, of the things that are wrong with us. And you know, the sad thing is, those names that really stick, they stick because when I look at the behavior that was the root of the name, I realized that part of me deserved that name. Part of me deserved that name because I was being not the person that I was created to be, but something else. I remember one time I wanted to go hang out with my friends and, and my dad had asked me to trim the lawn and then he would mow the rest. And uh, for some reason, our lawnmower had broken down and my uncle lent us this lawnmower that was one of these like walk-behind gigantic commercial lawnmowers but it was like an early version and so it had like two speeds and one was like jog and one was like look out Mary you better get out of the way and the transmission was broken and so it only operated and look out Mary you better get out of the way but the son who his father loved was in too much of a hurry to love his father back that day and so I started that 20-year-old snapper trim mower, and I'm mowing, and I'm going around everything. And I'm getting the grass right there on the edge, right? But I'm only leaving that 16-inch path that that 1984 snapper mower allotted in its blade width. And then I left everything else for Dad. But the problem was is that there were a lot of limbs that year that were hanging down in the path of the lawnmower, and that in order to accommodate safe mowing in the Lookout Mary mower, uh, the path had to be really wide and you had to go around the trees a lot, like 10 times so that it was safe for the operator of the broken and yet operational walk behind commercial mower. And so I did my thing and I put the lawnmower away and I left with my friends for the day. And then I came back that afternoon and the lawn looked great. And I went to my dad and I said, dad, the lawn looks great. 
And dad looked at me, not like a person who was happy with the lawn looking great. And he shared some names with me that I still remember that day, this day. And I remember thinking, I kind of deserve those names. I really let my dad down. I thought of myself first and not him. In that moment, even though I wasn't saved, it's one of the times in my life where I realized what it was to have disappointed someone because of the poor choice that I made. And it's a time where I look back in my life and I know what sin is in me. Because I knew the right thing to do and I chose to do the wrong thing anyways. I knew what it was to love someone else in that moment and I decided to love myself more. The Bible says that each of us need a Savior because each of us have sinned. Every person in this room knows that they are not perfect. And yet every person in this room really likes it when we gloss over our own imperfections. When we don't represent the wrong in us and people only think of the right in us. What's amazing about the Lord, what's amazing about Jesus, is that he sees the wrong in us. And instead of just glossing it over, he wants to meet your need. Because the Bible says that people who are imperfect don't get to go to heaven. That heaven is a place for perfect people only. But God wants you to be there. Have you ever met somebody who's just so incredibly generous that they want to make a way for you to experience what's good, even though you don't deserve what's good? I had some teachers in school. They did this funny thing called being uh, grading on a curve. Have you ever experienced this grading on a curve before? Yeah, that seems really generous, doesn't it? But what does the curve do to the people who are at the top of the curve? It drops them down a little bit. And so one year, I had this professor, and he said he was going to grade on a curve. And what he was going to do, because the class was saying that we didn't learn enough, the test was going to be too hard, he said, fine, I'm going to grade on a curve. And those of us who were good at getting good grades thought, oh no, because we were like juniors in high school, and we were going to be applying for college the next year. And uh, we thought, man, our grade's going to drop in this class. That won't be very good. And so we kind of grumbled a little bit. And then the professor said, fine, I'm going to do it differently. Whoever gets the best grade, I'm going to take the distance between that grade and 100, and I'm going to give it to everybody as a bonus. So if the best grade is a 72, I'm going to give 22% to everybody, or 72, 28% to everybody. So that becomes a 100%. And if you got a 50%, guess what? You're going to get a 78%. That's a C plus. Everybody rejoice in that moment because everyone knew we weren't going to be perfect. But there was a problem. See, somebody was in the class who could do it perfectly. They got a 100%, which meant that the rest of us got no bonus. We sat right where we were. Didn't that stink? And it was right before Christmas. Merry Christmas, whoever you were. Merry Christmas. Thank you for giving us all such a wonderful curve. You know, it's wild is that God doesn't grade us on a curve, but he's willing to be generous to us anyways. See, God doesn't say, I'm going to grade you on a curve. Instead, he says, I see you exactly as you are. And that even though Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, even though he's the only one who could earn his way into heaven, I'm going to give his grade to you if you just ask. See, each person here has a need for this Savior. And if you ask, Jesus will take your failing grade and he will wipe it from the board of your life in eternity, and he will put his grade in your place instead. He will give you the perfect score in life that he earned so that you can have his place. 
The awesome thing about this Savior is he's generous, and he's willing to meet your deepest need, your need for forgiveness, your need for grace, your need to know mercy. And so as we have all of the pageantry of Christmas, as we think about all of the names that people are going to call us, we have this other opportunity to know the name that Jesus will call us, to know that we're called loved, to know that we're called cared for, to know that we're called important, that we matter, because there's a God who through history saw you and said, I love you enough to send my son for you. But there's a thing that goes along with this. You have to receive it. You have to accept the gift. A couple of years ago, I was uh, going through a junk drawer in my house. Anybody have a junk drawer? It collects things, right? And I got to the back of the junk drawer, and I found this check with my name on it. And there were zeros after a digit on the check. And I thought, that was a lot of money. What? Why is this here? And then I called the person who wrote the check 10 years before, and they said, I was wondering why you didn't do anything with that. I was like, yeah, I kind of missed an opportunity, huh? And they said, yeah, you kind of missed an opportunity, right? In other words, that check is no longer valid. There's a season on receiving that gift, and that season is now. That season is while you're alive. See, while you're still drawing breath, while you're still blinking and thinking, now is the time to receive the gift because it's available right now. Don't let the gift of Jesus be unopened in your life. Don't let those other names, those other things that you've done define you for eternity. Let the gift of God's grace define you for eternity. But for those of you who do already know, I want to remind you that this gift isn't something that you opened once and has impact for a little while. That the Savior who stepped out of eternity to save you is still stepping out of eternity in your life now. And now that you've called him Savior, he will absolutely be your shepherd, and he will absolutely be your light, and he will absolutely be your hope and be your guide. And so today as we worship, as we thank God for Jesus, we can remember that this gift of Jesus' birth is so much more than the cross for Jesus. It's life for me with God now and forevermore. Let's pray uh, at this moment and thank God for the gift of life that we have in Christ. And, and maybe today is the day where if you haven't said thank you, God, for life in Christ, today is the day where you would put your faith in Jesus. And so I would invite you to pray with me. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Lord, I see, I know that I was undeserving of this gift, that I didn't earn your love and that I couldn't but you saw me and you sent your son to save me. I pray, Father, that, that you would continue to show me your love and I thank you for the gift of life in Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to know you, that you would help us to rejoice in you, that we remember that Jesus is this God who is humble, who is with us, who loves us, who has forgiveness and grace for us. And we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, these kids are up here because of something very exciting. I have a question for you kids. Uh, whose birthday is tomorrow? Jesus! 
It's Jesus' birthday. Hey, I was thinking, we all sing these songs, we sing these Christmas carols uh, about Jesus and about how great he is, but I was thinking if it was my birthday, I kind of like it when people sing happy birthday to me. Would you help me to help them sing happy birthday to Jesus? Okay, I've got this cake back here just for today. Hang on a minute. You get to eat this cake. Anybody who wants to, unless if their doctor says no. And then they can still eat it, but they have to tell their doctor that I said that they didn't have to. Or their mom or dad. Yeah. Thank you. Lovely assistance. Okay. It's a birthday cake. That's the kind of cake that it is. Now, someone took my special cake tool. Who's got the black lighter? I left. You already handed it to me? Thank you. All right. Oh, it's not, it's not one of those lighters. You might not be one of those lighters, but you're one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Thank goodness we just had that sermon on mercy. Sick burn, bro. <laughs> That's okay. The wax is the best part of the cake. It cleans your teeth out. All right. Hey, let's sing. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jesus. Happy birthday to you. I think we should all blow the candles out for Jesus. What do you think? Ready? One, two, three. Good job. See, when we up. all blow, we don't have to blow so hard, so there should be less spit, right? I hope. <laughs> all right. Hey, please go sit with your moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. So one of the things that we often do at Christmas is that we light a candle, and uh, this candle is a symbol of God's Son being present in the world. It's called the Christ candle sometimes. And then um, one of the things we also do is we kind of share the light of Christ with each other. And it's a reminder that God is with us. And so we're going to sing um, one final song. Um, and, uh, and as we do so, we're going to pass the light to each other. And then um, we'll all sing together as we do so. So I'm going to light the first rose. And then I'm going to light the band's candles. And, uh, and then as you sing, pass that light. Now, pro tip. If you're lighting the candle, then you should hold your unlit candle to the side and put it in this way, because otherwise you do this and it makes a big mess, and then the candle that's up and down doesn't light. So unlit candle in, lit candle vertically, okay? It's like Ikea instructions. If you're not happy while you're doing this, flap your arms wildly and someone will do it for you. Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before Thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. 
to celebrate Christmas Eve and the birth of Christ. Uh, may you know the hope and light of Christ in this season, and may you know the comfort of his love no matter where you find yourself uh, today, tomorrow, and this next week. Um, we